Did your parents ever talk to you about money? How they made it? How they managed it? Or even how much they had of it? I know, I know, family and money can be a taboo topic in some people's eyes, but that's exactly what I want to talk to you about. Hi, I'm Lauren Simmons, and welcome to Mind Body Wealth. Being honest and talking about money can make some people shut down and it can make others feel exposed. Have you ever wondered where that comes from? I have. I have friends and I know people from all walks of life. And the more I hear other people and their money stories, the more I get curious about how people from different backgrounds treat money conversations in their households when they're growing up. How has this affected how they deal with money today? Does it have an impact on how they engage with their partners around money or even with their friends? I wanted to dig into this a little bit more, so I'm bringing in two people with two completely different backgrounds to help me explore how their own money stories affected them. We're going to talk about how we were raised to think about money, what we've realized as adults, and how our money mindsets even affect our romantic relationships. First up, we have Chris Browning. Chris is a personal finance expert. You can see him every week on NBCLX's Current or hear him on KFI AM 640, where he gives his take on the latest finance news. And to round out the conversation, I called on a dear friend of mine, Gabriel Guy Heipman. He is an international private banker at IDB Bank based in New York City. And I'll just put this out there now. As friends, we talk about money all the time. But I was raised to openly talk about money, and he wasn't. Just another reason this topic fascinates me. So let's dive in. I think there are so many misconceptions when it comes to family and money talks and what actual conversations happen in our household. I was raised in a single parent home, but my mom has always been great when it's come to personal finances and empowering her children around the conversations around money. She has been a super saver. She budgets like crazy. Um, we never went a day without a meal on the table. She taught me early on about credit and putting me on her credit cards and having a savings and a checkings account. And it was refreshing in so many ways because when I got to college or even before I got to college, I had many friends that did not know about finances, personal finances, did not have a credit card, did not know what credit was. And even as an adult, I have dated men who have good credit, but didn't even ever know to check their credit score. So I'm really curious, Guy, Chris, was your experience similar or different? Chris, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what money conversations you have had in your household. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Chris Browning. I host a podcast called Popcorn Finance, which is kind of funny considering that I didn't learn anything about money growing up and actually went into college as an art major. So it was completely different from what I thought my life would end up being. And, you know, I grew up with both my parents and my mom was actually the breadwinner. She was the higher earner in our family. And I didn't really realize the importance or the significance of that growing up. It was just kind of how it was. My dad loved to cook and he cleaned. Uh, he still worked, but he had what would be non-traditionally the role that a man has in the household. So for me, I didn't realize that how the impact it had on me, but it really did shift my outlook and how I see money and how I see 
uh, women and their role in the household when it comes to making money. Because to me, if, if a woman makes more, I don't really blink or flinch at that because like, well, that's what my mom did. She made a, a really good living and she worked hard. But despite the fact my mom was a really hard worker, my dad was a really hard worker, uh, there still were times where money was tight. We you know, overheard several arguments. And uh, as most couples do, as I've had discussions with my wife, when things are going well with money, you know, things get tense. And so I always knew there were issues going on, but I never knew exactly what it was because we didn't really talk about money. We never had these conversations. And so going into my, you know, adult years, I really was kind of just learning everything for the first time on the fly and trying to, you know, make my way through this world and learn how I'm supposed to be managing my money because I didn't really have those conversations growing up. Yeah, I mean, I definitely come from a more traditional background. My grandpa always made more money than my grandma. So I always assumed that my partner would as well for me. But Guy, I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what money conversations you had growing up? So my name is Guy Heikman. I'm a financial advisor. I work with high net worth individuals in portfolio management, mostly clients out of Mexico. And most of the things that I learned about finance were on the job. Um, The conversations around personal finance that I have on a regular basis with my clients that involve Uh, figuring out what amount of money they'll need to live, figuring out what they can take risks with. Uh, All those things didn't come from conversations that uh, I had at home. I did grow up in a a household that would be considered relatively well off. Um, And in spite of what some people think about affluent families, it doesn't always happen that conversations about money happen early on. Um, I had an allowance, which I did not work for. I have to, (laughs) at all. It just found its way into an imaginary bank account that my father managed for me on Quicken. And every week, without me having to do much, I would get $12 in my savings and $10 in my checking. These are all imaginary. These were all in his pocket, essentially. Um, (laughs) But that's, that's essentially the extent of the financial literacy that I had until maybe about 15 when I had a credit card that I got in my name with my father as guarantor. And he simply said one rule. He said, never spend more on your credit card than you're having your checking account. And then essentially sent me off into the world. And from there, there hadn't really been too many financial conversations because after you learn the very basic of credit, which is don't spend more than you have. Um, The next big conversation is how to budget for things. And I had the fortune of not having to worry about budgeting for things. And the next conversation after that is your long-term financial goals, which unfortunately many people don't have the access to, which is a mortgage, a business, um, and even sometimes something as simple as a car. Um, So those were things that I didn't need to have conversations around because I didn't have the need to worry about them. Definitely not at that age. And at this age, when I'm having those conversations, having those issues, let's call them financial discussions, financial necessities that are brought about by life and one trying to establish oneself, I'm already in a position on that I got to on my own outside of uh, my family to start thinking about 
what that would look like for me and how I can go about doing it. Of course, I have some support that I can go to ask questions and be able to lean on my family members who have done well for themselves and have had the experience of going through getting a mortgage and setting up their financial future for themselves. But for the most part, growing up, there was a huge absence uh, created by a lack of need um, around financial conversations. Guy, can you talk about the financial dynamic between your parents? So, I mean, to be able to separate money from emotion and psychology and family history is completely impossible. And my experience growing up, seeing how my parents differed on how they related to money was not really well informed because all those pieces that comprise a person's relationship with money were not in my vocabulary. These are not things that I was able to observe, absorb, and understand. Um, these were things that I observed and only many years later was able to decipher, oh, that actually was tied to this person's family history, this person's generational history with money. Uh, so they actually came from very different backgrounds. My father was the primary breadwinner, and my mother did not work. And yet he came from a background of poverty, and he built his way up. And she came from wealth and was relegated to being a homemaker because she had no formal education, and he did have a formal education. And so there was a very interesting dynamic of my father building up into wealth and being very concerned about finances because he had worked his way into it and was concerned about not having because he came from not having. And my mother's relationship with money was, I've always had, I'm married to someone who has, I don't need to worry about money. And of course, you can see how that can set up a pretty... Um, a powder keg of a situation, <laughs> especially when you have individuals who don't necessarily have the vocabulary to talk about finances in a way that's conducive to, to reaching healthy conclusions. And Chris, I know you spoke a little bit about your mom making more money, but do you know what your parents' experience was with money? Uh, yeah, you know, my dad, he's the, he's a man of a, a thousand stories. It feels like every time I go over there, him, he's telling me and my brother something new that we didn't know. And uh, Both my parents uh, were born in the South. Uh, well, my dad, he was actually born in Michigan, but then he, he grew up in Arkansas. My mom, she grew up in uh, Louisiana before moving out to uh, L.A. Uh, when she was a little bit younger because her dad was in the military. And my dad, he would always tell me that he didn't know he was poor. Because he said, you know, he said, I was happy. He said, I ate every day. Uh, I had clothes and shoes. It's like, I had no idea I was poor until I went to school. And he said, the kids were like, hey, man, you're poor. Get out of here. And he's like, what are you talking about? I, I'm good. And he said, that's when it started to set in and he realized how tough it was for his family and that, they, you know, they were getting, you know, government subsidies on food and things like that that he didn't realize. But they grew up in a really small town in Arkansas. There wasn't really anything around. Uh, but for him, he's one of those people who he's always happy regardless of what he has. And he just makes the best. Uh, of what he has in any situation. Uh, my mom, she grew up in Watts, and she was the oldest of, I believe, seven kids. And so she ended up being like a caregiver in, in her family. She would take care of her sisters and her brothers. And uh, being the oldest, she was also the first person to end up going to college. And she would still travel back and forth to help her mom out, help her siblings out. And so she's always kind of fallen into that role where she's 
kind of, you know, always been the one in charge and always the one carrying the responsibilities. And I think that's kind of what propelled her so much in her career financially. And, and the growth she had is that she always kind of had to be in that position. And I remember, you know, going with her to work when I was younger, she would take me into the office and seeing her career progression, seeing her start off in like a low level position until, you know, by the time I was going off to college, she was the boss and she was running the finance department where she worked. And so it's been two different perspectives. My dad is a very, you know, I came from nothing, but I make the best of what I have and I always work hard. My mom is very similar. I came from nothing, but I've always been one put in charge and I've always had to work really hard and be responsible for all these people. And you can kind of, I can kind of see that in the way that they handle money and the way they've talked to me and raised me and my brother. Well, that brings me to a good point then. Has your family's perception around money and even how you were brought up, has that changed or how do you use that in your adult life, whether it's with the relationships, friendships, et cetera? Yeah, you know, I, I find myself being like a blend of both my parents and their styles and how they kind of interacted with money and the way they taught us. So my mom is very, I'm planning for every worst case scenario you could possibly think of. You, every, anything could go wrong, so you better be ready for it. And I think that's where I got my very cautious approach to money, where I've been very big on, I got to have a big emergency fund. I got to make sure I have a budget laid out. I can't get caught and slipping and end up, you know, on the street. Like, I, that's, like that's like the fear that I think came from coming from nothing, but also being in charge of her family. So I always have that kind of like worry in the back of my mind. Let me be very prepared and very cautious and very um, disciplined with what I have. Uh, my dad on the other side, he's very, hey, look, you're not going to live forever. You got to enjoy some of this money. And so he, he's my balance. And so from him, I get the, all right, Chris, it's all right to go ahead. And if you want to buy uh, a phone, you can buy a phone. You're not going to be broke if you do this. And, you know, you got to enjoy this money. You're working hard for it. So that that's kind of shaped how I handle money and came directly from their backgrounds is I can see how that's kind of trickled into how I interact with things and kind of really shaped the philosophy I have. And gave me this weird balance between the overly cautious and the uh, let's have fun at the same time situation. So Guy, given your parents' dynamic around working and money, how do you sort of gauge how easy or difficult it will be to talk about money in your personal life? I've met people who assumed a lot about my proclivities uh, around money. So they had expectations as far as me spending money a certain way because I am working in a certain field. So they say, oh, okay, you are a licensed stockbroker, you're a banker, you work with really wealthy people, you must live a very extravagant life. Uh, you must spend money very freely. And uh, that was uh, not the case. <laughs> um, and so... I, I did run into situations where there were expectations that either I would foot the whole bill for everything all the time, which is not something that uh, I was always comfortable with. And I don't knock expectations like those. They're just not my lifestyle. The conversations that I did eventually start having around finances with my potential partners were based on a lot of observation of what happens when the check comes to the table. Do they lean in and try to grab it from you? And when do you start letting them share it with you? And it sort of became this observational situation where you gauge the other person's expectations and desires based on something as simple as that. And if they pass the you know check test, which is... It'll come and they'll, they'll insist even. 
let me get it this time, then that's already a sign that there are some conversations that you'll be having later on that will be a lot easier, simply based on uh, something as simple as that. But you know, if the check comes every single time and the other person is not even flinching, then you know that there are going to be some harder conversations that maybe uh, you might not even want to have. <laughs> so, I mean, for the most part, I've looked to partners um, as people who are willing to have dialogue, people who know that you're entering a partnership, whatever that looks like, whatever that means financially, you're tying yourself to this other person. Uh, if it's for the short term, if it's for the long term, uh, whatever your goals are for the relationship that you're entering to, it's a partnership and there is a financial element to it. But I've gravitated towards people who understood that above everything and that this wasn't a one-sided kind of deal. Um, I'm someone who, you know, I, I don't like conflict. Uh, it's, I don't know why I've always been like that. So when uh, I first started dating my wife, we started dating really early. I was uh, 18 and she was 17. And I was selling tools and lawnmowers for commission in the basement of Sears and barely making anything. And it was in college trying to finish. And I remember I got my first credit card and um, I ended up maxing it out, taking her out to dinner because, you know, it's like, oh, you know, this is what we got. This is what I have to do. I got to take her out to dinner. And we never had any money conversations. I never brought up the fact that I was spending money I didn't have. I was just like, well, this is my my role. I got to do this. And I remember hitting a breaking point where a card was maxed out. I really had barely anything in my checking account. And I was forced into having our first money conversation just out of necessity because either I was going to say something or we were going to show up to the restaurant and my car was going to get declined. So I remember going up to her and I was like, hey, you know, I really want to take you out to dinner. I would love to keep doing this, but I can't afford this. And I felt really bad having this conversation with her. And I thought it was going to be one of those things. She's like, oh, well, I guess you're broke. You know, I, I don't know what was going to, I thought she was just going to be angry or like, I don't deal with broke people. I had all these, this bad, you know, scenarios in my mind. And she was just like, oh, oh it's okay. I understand. You know, why don't we do something else? Let's find something else we can do that's free or cheap. Yeah. And you guys were still in college at the time. Yeah, we've, we were still in college. Both of us still in school. Broke as the brokest I've ever been in my life. And that's when I realized if you're just upfront with people, you can have these conversations, you can have these discussions and avoid all the trauma and, <laughs> and pain leading up to this. Well, I do think different phases of your life, like the conversation of money is going to be different. Chris, in your relationship, if it's okay that I ask, does your wife make more money or do you make more money? And do you see how you were raised, any of that, like influencing the money conversations that you have in your adult relationship now? I make more, and this is solely from the fact that I went into the field of finance and my wife went into childcare, which they don't pay people who work with kids enough money. Unfortunately. So that was always, we always knew from the beginning, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was going to be the case. So uh, it, it, the weird thing is, even though I saw a very, I guess like progressive family home with the way the finances were structured, for some reason I had ingrained in me this whole I'm the man, I have to be the provider and I have to pay for things and I have to be the one who handles all this. It was completely contradictory to what I saw. Well, that's because everywhere in society we turn and we look, it's, you know, men have to make the most money and they have to be the provider. And there, even outside of your family, there's so many societal pressures for that to be the case that it's really impossible, at least here in America, to escape that. And and I think even in other countries, it's even more prevalent because especially we come from a world where women aren't even allowed to work. 
So you're fine. <laughs> All that to say, like, you're fine. Like, where does that come from? Um, You can, like, watch any commercial walk down the street. It's, like, blatantly in our faces. Yeah, it's crazy how, in, how it just seeps in. Like, it just gets into your head, even though you don't seek it out, you don't, you have other examples, it's still just so prevalent. Like you said, it just becomes who you think you're supposed to be. And I think that did shape the way I talked with my wife about money for a long time because I put the pressure without asking her on myself to be the one who has to provide and pay for things. And when money was tight and when we were in debt, it was I felt it's on me. I got to fix this. I got to figure out what I got to do. I got to get another job. I got to make more money. It was all this pressure that I was unnecessarily taking on. And it felt wrong to pass off any of that responsibility, even though it would have made things so much easier if I wasn't forcing myself to be the main one to stress over these things. Uh, it's, just, it's so crazy how just the way society is made me feel that I had to do that. So that really, I think early on limited our conversations about money and, and made me feel like, oh no, I don't, don't tell her that I'm stressed about money. Don't tell her that my raise wasn't as much as I thought it would be because I'm going to, I'm, I'm the provider. And it was just this crazy amount of pressure I put on myself for no good reason when I have a partner and I should have been like, Hey, let me, let, let's share this together. Let me, let's spread some of the stress around instead of sitting there like collapsing underneath it. I'm curious guy, did, do you have any emotional triggers when it comes to spinning? And, you know, what is what does that look like? I, I don't think I have that many emotional triggers around spending as far as the uh, family influence is concerned. I'm about to call it out. So I want you to get to it. And you, you may not have emotional spending. I, he's being polite. He may not have triggers, but I love you guy. But he is frugal. And, like, that comes from somewhere. Like, he is the saver. But... He is really frugal. So go on, say what you were going to say. I guess I guess I should retract that statement. Um, so I do live pretty frugally, and I always have. And that probably does come from a short period of time where my family was going through a separation, and there was a lot of anxiety around money because I did end up with my mom for a period of time. And there all of a sudden, you know, a lot of nice things that we had, we no longer had. And we were living in a different country that's a social uh, social democracy. So there was a lot of the basic needs were met. Uh, taxes were much higher. So a lot of the nicer things were also out of reach uh, in many ways. So it's kind of set up this contrast of, having and not having. And having to then going to not having to then going back to having, you all of a sudden develop this, or I all of a sudden develop this uh, subconscious fear of not having again. So now being in a position where not only my needs are met, but I have beyond that, I also never want to find myself in a situation again where I could potentially be at almost not having what I need. And those, those were not fun years, let's put it like that. There was anxiety around money that was observable uh, for the first time and understandable for the first time also because I was already at an age where I could uh, not only observe but interpret. And... So there are some anxieties around money and spending that are influenced by uh, growing up. Guy, I know I pushed you on that one. So thank you so much for going there with me. Chris, what have your conversations been like with friends when it comes to money conversations? 
I found that it really varies. It really depends on the friend. And I think that's something I've had to come to terms with over time is that you can't have the same money conversations with everyone. In my mind, I was like, okay, look, if I'm comfortable, I can bring up a topic and then we'll all start talking about how much we make and how much we spend and everyone's going to have a great time sharing this. But that is, I've experienced it and it doesn't work that way at all. Um, I found it's almost like I have tiers of friendship and I place them in these tiers and I know how comfortable each person is going so far into the conversation. And uh, I have friends that will share everything. Like we'll talk about how much debt we had, what we're earning right now, what we pay for food and the rent, everything. No, there's nothing that's off limits when it comes to talking about money. And I have other friends, I have no idea how much money they make. Like they, he, I have one friend, he won't tell me. Like we, I was like, hey, you know what I'll do? I'll, I'll start the conversation. He'll, and he was like, hey, well, you never told me how much you make. I was like, all right, well, this is how much I make. And he was like, hmm, because I knew it must have been more than he made. So he just looked at me. He was like, oh, okay, that's more than I thought. All right. And then he just never said anything. He just never, he never picked up his side of the conversation. So I just know that's where his comfort level is. I know he, he can't, he's not comfortable going any further than that, whether it's, he feels insecure, whether he's just like, I don't, this is personal. This is my information. I don't talk about this. So, uh, the way I've tried to build relationships where I can be open with money is I find that I kind of just test the waters first. I throw a little topic out there and see what I get back. I'll, I'll say something about, man, you know, I was really mad. My rent went up to whatever. And then, then they would say, Oh, really? Yeah, my rent is this. And then I'm like, okay, all right, we can have, we can get, we can, that's one step further into the discussion we can get now. But if they're like, oh man, that sucks. And then they just leave it at that. I'm like, all right, we, we can't, we can't talk about this anymore. So that's, that's how I've, I've been trying to structure it and be sensitive to people's comfort level because we, like, I mean, I grew up, we didn't, I, I didn't know how much my parents were making. I didn't know what the mortgage was in the house. I didn't know any of that. And so, it's understandable growing up in that environment like a lot of us do. You just don't want to have those conversations. You're just not comfortable. Like that's not a conversation you're comfortable discussing. Um, so you just don't. And so if you're, even if your friend, your best friend comes to you, you're just not going to do it. So I, I've been trying to be very sensitive to that and say, look, I'll just meet people wherever they're at. Like if this is where they want to talk about, this is where I'll, I'll leave it. And I won't push them and make them more uncomfortable just because I'm ready to have that conversation. Right. But I do think, and and I totally agree with you, I definitely feel like everyone's not ready. But I do think that it is so empowering when you can have those conversations with your partners, your friends, your family about money and finances, because it only pushes you more. I think one of the reasons why Guy is such a close friend of mine, we have very open conversations about money and finances and uh, what the audience doesn't know him and another friend are the reason why I make as much money as I do today. I found out how much money they made and I said, okay, they could do it. That's attainable. And obviously I work in a different space than I did when I first met Guy. But, you know, I I had this mindset of, okay, this is the number. I'm ingraining that in my head. And it's not all about, okay, I want to make as much money as my friend, but I do think the circle around you like elevates you to want and push yourself to grow and do better financially and be better at spending habits. And and yeah, so him and I, he has been, him and another really close friend of mine have been really instrumental of, you know, pushing me to where I'm at today and helping me uh, diversify my money and et cetera. But I'm curious, Guy, do you have money conversations with your other friends? Or am I the lucky one? 
Well, first of all, uh, now that I know that I am 50% of the reason why you make as much as you do, I do want royalties. Yes, 100%. We, we could talk about that. Like 1%? Is that a, is that a good number? Um, you know, baseline comfort level, two and a half. <laughs> okay, we'll talk about it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, think, I think that brings up a good point. Um, you know, pushing your friends to do better. You know, I've definitely had conversations with friends of mine where I've said, hey, you need to stop what you're doing because this is not serving you in any way, you know, just from the basics of looking from the outside. And trying to have conversations with friends about money can be super uncomfortable because you want the best for your friends and you want them to do well. You want them to get ahead and not have financial issues that they're going to need to you know, tackle in more serious ways if they don't start cleaning up shop now. Um, but some people really are not open to it. And a good friend of mine said that, um, and I don't want to generalize, but uh, this was kind of like a multicultural experience, multicultural conversation about uh, money, because from culture to culture, definitely there, there are differences. But what she said was that uh, a lot of Americans are more comfortable talking about really intimate sexual details rather than share conversations about money and how much they make. And I found that to be true. M many foreign cultures have very little boundaries when it comes to saying, oh, this is how much I make. This is how much my house is worth. This is how much and that and the other. And the conversations that you and I uh, have been able to have around money are because we both understand that it's, we're, we're not tying it to each other's wants and needs from each other. Because if you do have a conversation about money, you need to make sure that this is not the person who's going to come back to you and say, oh, well, you should do X, Y, Z because you can afford it, you know? Or why don't, why don't you do, you won't come on this vacation with me because you say it's too expensive, but I know you can afford it. And it's like, okay, at that point, you're already getting into my pocket. So I try to remain as clinical as I can about money uh, whenever I have these conversations with friends, whether it's me trying to help them out, me trying to establish how things can be fair between us, and just generally speaking about things that would hopefully not involve each other crossing, you know, each other's financial, financial emotional boundaries. I think that's a really smart way to have the conversation with friends without making them feel uncomfortable. What is the most important thing you've learned about money so far? The thing that you want to stop strangers on the street and tell them about because it's so important. I would say one thing I'd want people to know and kind of keep in mind would be that you know, I, I think sometimes we forget how different everyone's lives are. Like there's so many similarities. Like we, we there's so many things that we all have in common, but we all come from very different backgrounds. We have very different experiences that shape our lives and put us in the position that we're in right now. And I think sometimes we try to force or judge people based off of our experiences with money and not really taking into account what they're going through, where they've been, what happened to them when they were younger, what they, they got laid off and now they're stressed about money all the time even though they're fine. Like just all these things that play into, come into play. And so I think it would be to say, I don't, I don't come, come with money with a little more grace and I guess like understanding when you talk to other people because sometimes we can, it's so easy to tell for people to like tell the people what to do. That's how I feel about all these like money advice, which there are a lot of good money advice shows, but I do think a lot of the information is really generic. And for me, like I always tell people, it is complicated and it's a journey and it's a marathon, not a sprint and something that's not going to happen overnight. 
and realize everyone's background is completely different. Like I could give you five tip takeaways, but it's really not going to be helpful depending on the circumstance that you're in. And it could help this person and it may not help the next. It's not black and white. It's so, it's so many, it's so much. I mean, for me, it really is making money not taboo. And I think the more that we can have these conversations, the better. And especially once you get to a place where you're making six figures plus and what that looks like. Because what I don't want to happen is for people to, to make a lot of money and still have insecurities of how they grew up, insecurities of their friends and their family, and they operate in a fear-based way on what their relationship with money is like. The more that we can have a healthier relationship with money, the better. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the things that I've tried to tell almost everyone that I've had sometimes difficult conversations about finances with is that there is no wrong time to start saving and there is no wrong amount of money that you can be making to start saving. If there is that ability, and a lot of people do have that ability, um, most people um, have that ability to put that $1 away and try to build something of a security uh, net in case of a time of need. And they don't because they assume, well, I don't make enough to save. If you at the end of the day have two or $3 that you have left over after your basic needs are met, that's still two or $3 that you can put away. And there have been situations where I've also had conversations around money with people who make money, but felt that they didn't make enough to start investing. And that's also a, a pretty big thing for me, especially, which is why not? You know, what's holding you back? Why do you think you don't make enough money to start investing your money? And a lot of the perceptions on both sides uh, on not having enough and on having enough but not thinking that you can all has to do at the end of the day with how your perception around money shapes the financial reality that you're living and ultimately changing that perspective and saying, I have options, I have the ability, I should start some kind of security net or some kind of nest egg that I can build, even if it's a dollar a day is extremely important. I try to imbue my friends, family, and clients with that mentality, which is don't fear it and don't not start it because the later you start, uh, the more difficult it will be. I love that. Thank you guys so much for the conversation today. I really, really appreciate it. So thank you, Chris and Guy. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. So if everyone approaches money from a different place, is there a takeaway we can land on? when it comes to determining your financial future, one of the most empowering things that you can do is remember that no one can understand your relationship with money better than you. And how you plan for your future should be unique as you are. Relationships work when people show up. When you show up to your finances with the same authenticity as you do your friendships and relationships, you're guaranteed success. Success won't look the same for everyone. You know you won't see me investing in high-risk stocks or trendy impulse buys. I don't do those things because they aren't true to who I am and they don't align with my vision of a strong financial future. But I am gonna take that once in a lifetime trip. I deserve it and you deserve it. And you deserve a relationship with money that works for you. 
Join me, Lauren Simmons, on our next episode of Mind Body Wealth dropping next week. Be sure to follow Mind Body Wealth only on Spotify. Until next time. Mind Body Wealth with Lauren Simmons is a Spotify original production from Best Case Studios. It's executive produced by Lauren Simmons and produced by Ayana Angel. From Spotify, executive producers are Gina Delvac and Jeepa Yador. Producer is Tierra Darnell. Executive producer for Best Case is Adam Pincus. Our associate producer is Ali Gallo. Aaron Allen and Stephanie Geary are the editorial directors. Our editor is Galen Mullins. And our assistant editor is Alana Myers. Thanks to Marmoset and Five Alarm for this music. And special thanks to Kevin Pham, Lauren Chin, Colin Frederick, Hannah Lebowitz Lockhart at Best Case, Evan Tarantino, Free Bird, Amanda Long, Jordan Tochinski at Spotify for production support, and Ashley Acevedo and Arabella Roberts at Artists First. 